Spring is here, and as of April 1st, the CFB Winning Edge 2022 FBS team profiles are available for all of our Tier 2 Patreon supporters. Our FBS team profiles include 131 team pages, each with 85 or more individual player ratings, position and unit rankings, depth charts, transfer updates, injury reports, full season and single game projections, and much, much more. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to join as a Tier 2 member to access our roster strength ratings, head coach rankings, on-field team performance, and recruiting strength history for all 131 FBS programs. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping to fund our 2022 FBS team profiles and other projects coming soon. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Nick, what is going on, my man? You you finished the profiles. They're done. <laughs> and and you can put them away and not have to look at them every day for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> well, uh, as as you know, uh, heard it heard it in your voice there. No, uh, they they are published. They are available uh, for our Patreon supporters, uh, but they basically live open on uh, one of my screens at least, and and have many changes each day. I mean, dozens probably. Uh, but hey, you know that's a good thing. Excited to finally be done with the uh, you know figuring out who's on and off of all the rosters um finally you know have updated uh class information number of uh you know years of eligibility remaining all that good stuff they're certainly not perfect by any stretch that's why we do make uh so many changes on a daily basis just based on you know new news uh injuries as they happen unfortunately we have a couple that we'll talk about today uh transfers you know certainly now that spring practice is uh, you know, in full swing, if not wrapping up, uh, we're probably going to have more and more transfers than we have in the last month or so. Uh, so there's certainly a lot to stay on top of, but, uh, the biggest piece of my off season to do list is to get these team profiles, uh, published and, and to a point where they're finished enough that I feel comfortable sharing them, uh, with other people. And, and thankfully we've got, uh, you know, Patreon supporters that have helped us to uh, fund the, you know, give us the means necessary to, to work through these. And now uh, we're able to share with those supporters, uh, our tier two Patreon supporters, our, our team profiles. And so we've got a ton of information all updated for the upcoming season. And we'll talk a little bit about it uh, later on, but there's still much to do. One piece that uh, is next you know, top priority on the list. Our team profiles right now, we use Bill Connolly's returning production numbers, which we've talked about plenty in the past, but we do a very, very in-depth uh, returning production database. And that's still in progress. Wasn't able to get that finished quite in time uh, to publish these, but um, we are 
uh, you know, going to have that by the end of this month and then stat projections after that. But the biggest piece, the, the thing I look forward to crossing off the to-do list, uh, uh, first and foremost, this, you know, any season is, is getting these team profiles ready. Uh, so they're in a state that, you know, we can share them with uh, the good folks who support us. Yeah. I mean, it's always an exciting day getting that email, uh, from Nick, you know, we've done it the last three or four years, however long we've been rolling here. I can't remember at this point, but to get the, the email of the new season spreadsheet, uh, you know, and, and just to see with my fast internet, it doesn't take nearly as long, uh, to, to, for, for that sucker to load. So, uh, it, it's, it's always great to have that, but Xavier, what do you do with your week off, man? I mean, uh, we, we had a week off here. It feels weird. It's two weeks coming back. Right. Um, I I'm sure you caught really up on your sleep, sleep and didn't live but... anything, any type of crazy lifestyle. No, all, right. No, 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 no. The <laughs> tournament has been taking over my life for the last week. If not that, I've been in, I don't know how many spaces on Twitter talking about the NBA playoffs and the NBA draft coming up all at the same time. Um, I am I am coming down to that time of April where I just like, I want it all to just be over. I want the playoffs <laughs> to start and I want the NFL draft to just be done. Like, can we get to May when we're talking about like the first month of baseball and things can just slow down a little bit for me? Oh, so yeah. I've got, uh, I'm, I'm about to hit cruise control, right? So, right. Uh, I, as soon as baseball starts, I'm NFL draft, obviously reacting, reacting to, uh, everything that happens in baseball on a daily basis, but that's like, that's within my DNA anyway. Right. Fair, so, fair. um, the, uh, you know, just doing my last little draft prep, then the draft. And then it's like, whoop, here comes football season. Get those rankings done. Uh, cause I got to write for the black book again. I got, I'll have okay. chapters for that. Uh, due in June, um, and obviously a lot of college football to catch up on uh, in between there. So right. I'm glad you guys have outside interests. I think that's yeah, healthy. yeah. It's not just college football. You know, look. Yeah, yeah. I bought I bought uh, MLB the Show for the first so time. So did I. Like, uh, oh, did you really? Yeah. Oh, Xavier, buddy, we're gonna have some days, man. Yeah, we're, to. we're gonna have some days on there. <laughs> I mean, I've got the in this league Twitch going. So. Oh, I've got. Uh, yeah. Oh, buddy. We're going to have yeah. a good time doing that. So I uh, already made my road to the show character, like uh, all that good stuff. So uh, that is going to be a great time. But um, yeah, so uh, I mean, just excited to get everything going here. But uh, let's dive in. Obviously, more spring practice reports. We had uh, games from last weekend, Georgia State, Syracuse, Southern Miss, Michigan, Charlotte and Louisville all played. So Nick, what are you uh what did you see from those games and did you have time to uh sit and watch some of those games because of your crazy schedule this past week <laughs> so i in the off season or you know in in this portion of spring practice and uh this time of year i i don't watch anything live i i don't sit um and you know maybe if one of these is on a thursday night or or something like that i might be able to catch a little bit of it but i basically just record them or uh, try to find a, a replay somewhere. Um, so I have had the time to catch up on the Syracuse and Michigan games. Uh, I am hoping, because uh, I, I guess I missed it, uh, that you know didn't, didn't set it to record the Louisville game on Sunday. And so hopefully there's a, a copy of that out there somewhere. But did, did uh, get a chance this morning, actually, while I was... Uh, working on a little bit of the returning production uh, database, got to 
see uh, the Michigan spring game. Um, you know, got to see Cade McNamara. I think he uh, was on the field for four drives during that game. Nothing, you know, too special, but uh, he'll, of course, still be uh, challenged by J.J. McCarthy for the starting quarterback role. It sounds like that's going to be a pretty, uh, you know, pretty hot battle uh, this fall between those two, but McCarthy, of course, has been out this spring, hasn't been able to, to throw. He was on the field. I, I know he did hold for uh, field goals, I believe, and extra points maybe, but um, that's going to be certainly you know something to watch, but McNamara got the bulk of the uh, first team reps this summer, it sounds like. I was really impressed with true freshman Darius Clemens, wide receiver. Uh, had a 35-yard uh, touchdown reception. He was targeted 10 times in the game, apparently, but uh, you know, a 6-3 uh, four-star recruit with speed had a, uh, an impressive uh, that touchdown catch. He you know had to lay out for that. Um, Ronnie Bell, who had such a, a huge you know week one performance uh, for Michigan last year, but then suffered a torn ACL, didn't play in the spring game, but he's expected to be healthy for the start of the season. Pretty interesting that Michigan that wide receiver unit uh, is certainly a team strength and it, and it might actually be one of the most talented in the Actually, you know what? I can give you specific numbers on how talented it is now that our team <laughs> profiles are, are uh, complete, but yeah, our, our wide receiver and tight end uh, unit ratings, unit rankings for the Michigan uh, Wolverines is, you know, top 35 in the country. Uh, but I think from a pure talent standpoint, even better, they, they rank 17th in average, 247 Sports uh, rating, 15th in average rivals rating, top 20 in our average, uh, you know, VGR plus video game rating uh, numbers. So it's a it's a really, really talented unit, so much so that uh, they basically have moved Mike Sanistrill to uh, nickel, uh, to nickelback. You know, he's, he's probably going to play uh, or see most of his playing time on defense this year because they've got, you know, Clemens coming in. Andrew Anthony had a, a, you know, kind of emerged late last year, Ronnie Bell back and healthy and plus returning guys like Cornelius Johnson and AJ Henning. And uh, it's a, it's a talented group. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Of course, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how the Michigan offense uh, progresses after, you know, such a special year last year, but, um, that, you know, were my, my biggest takeaways from that game, Syracuse quarterback, Garrick Schrader did not, uh, play. Apparently he tweaked a hamstring late last week. It's not considered serious. Uh, Sean Tucker also didn't play as a precaution, uh, read a little bit about Louisville's game, even though I haven't seen, you know, highlights or anything yet. It sounds like, you know, they've had a lot of injuries this spring, which is is certainly not a good thing. But uh, Malik Cunningham did play. Uh, heard some chatter that apparently the coaching staff has been working with uh, keeping him in the pocket more, uh, at least during spring. It's, you know, I think his his strengths are the ability to, to get out and move and, and run and uh, things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that actually carries over into the fall. But heard that Jalen Mitchell had a standout performance, three touchdowns, one running and, and two uh, TD receptions. And, and that Louisville uh, running back group is, is a pretty uh, deep and talented group as well. But one, Louisville actually was one of the first teams that 
while I was going through and updating all the projections and building all the, you know, our current win total projections and all of that, you know, I'm not sure exactly how good Louisville will be. They finished six and seven last year. They're ranked 31st right now in our first, uh, you know, team strength power rankings. We only project about six and a half wins, but they are going to have opportunities just to, and I tweeted this out sometime last week, but just to absolutely ruin people's seasons. Uh, Pitt and Wake Forest, they play in back-to-back weeks, both at home. They play at Clemson in November. Uh, They play NC State at home in the uh, basically the, the penultimate game, their last ACC game the week before Kentucky. Uh, and then Kentucky, you know, might might uh, have an opportunity to have a, a really solid year. And so Louisville could kind of spoil that into the regular season as well. So I'm not sure, you know, that Louisville is going to be a 9-10 win team, anything like that, or, or challenge in the ACC. But a lot of, you know, those types of teams are going to have to beat Louisville. And a guy like Malik Cunningham – uh, is I think got the ability to to beat just about anybody. So don't be shocked if Louisville just you know completely uh, derails at least one team's ACC championship hopes. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, seeing some of these teams in action here? Yeah, obviously I was at the Georgia State one, um, and to be honest with you, Georgia State looks exactly like they did last year. I don't if <laughs> if it's crazier to say this, but their running back room is deeper than it was last year. Uh, Marcus Carroll looked really good. Uh, Jamias Williams and Tucker Gregg pretty much took the day off, uh, being pretty much the two backs that you would expect to uh, take the day off. But, you know, the, the, the running game looked really good um, as it's supposed to. The offensive line, which was a little bit of a concern coming into this year, losing some pretty talented guys, uh, looked really good as well. Um, so, and Darren Granger looks to progress off of a season where he essentially took over the team in the second half of the year. Uh, Southern Mist, it looked really good to have Southern Mist have an actual quarterback, uh, you know, at the helm this year. You know, that, that was fun to watch, you know, as they ran like their super back lineup last year. Uh, uh, Ty Keys, um, that's how I'm going to pronounce his last name, looked really, really good for them. Uh, a little tidbit that I, I, I like to see is uh, the head coach uh, was like, He's been in our weight, you know, he's been in our strength program for two years. Now he actually looks like it. Uh, you know, sometimes it takes high school kids a little bit of a while to get there physically. Uh, so that was really good uh, for them. And like I said, just good to see them with an actual offense, like something we can actually gravitate towards uh, and probably look towards uh, going into next year. I absolutely agree with Nick. Louisville was one of those weird teams. They were one of those weird teams, in my opinion, last year that I, that was, I think were super talented, but just didn't weren't able to put it together from game to game. Uh, you know, I, I think and I think everybody kind of lost a taste of Louisville after watching them in game one against Ole Miss. But Louisville was still a, pra- a pretty competitive outfit uh, last year in any ways. And I think Malik Cunningham is a guy that has immense amount of talent. It's really just, you know whether or not he could put all that together. Um, and they have a much easier start to the schedule, uh, not to slander Syracuse at all, but you're no Ole Miss uh, game one. So especially not last year's Ole Miss with Matt Crowell and company. So, you know, a little bit of easier start that I feel like they can maybe flow into as the year progresses rather than running into a buzzsaw that was Ole Miss that, uh, that really, uh, I think, you know, pretty slowed down their season. Um, I didn't get to catch Charlotte, but I heard good things about the defense. Uh so, uh, you know, Charlotte, once again, continues to, to highlight, you know, a, a pretty solid defense. 
you know, uh, they had two interceptions. They also had two forced fumbles in the game, and they only allowed, not allowed 19 points. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a, an amazing game, but in the Sounds spring like the game. Offense might be pretty bad, too. Yeah, yeah that's what I said. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, you know. and what does that mean since uh, last year Charlotte ranked 128th in our defensive team performance <laughs> ratings, 129th against the pass, and 125th against the run? So it's gonna be a long year for Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, see, hey. the, so this is interesting, though. I mean, we've talked about it before, but uh, you know, especially even when you can watch it, like even even watching uh, bits mm-hmm. and pieces of the Michigan game and the Syracuse game, and I'll try to find others as as we see them. But I I struggle to know what to take from a spring game. And I I go back and forth on, oh, I really do want to, you know, pay attention. I do want to read about these. I do want to, to, uh, you know, watch as much as I can because you do see things and and guys do impress and and things like that. And sometimes you see, uh, you know, maybe some some concerning things that you might be able to to, uh, learn and apply to, to the season ahead. But then on the other hand, sometimes I think, man, you know what, I just need to completely ignore everything right. spring because you don't know is it is it the ones versus the ones and even if it is how many starters aren't playing and you know how are they keeping score and what do these stats mean and and all of that and and so you know you hear a, a case like this just as a, a pretty good example that yeah charlotte came out played really well on defense and and you know hopefully that is true hopefully right. you know the defense has taken a step forward because obviously they, they need to, this was a very, very bad defense last year. They bring back pretty much their whole defensive line added uh, to that through the transfer portal. The secondary is, is, you know, experienced. They're getting, uh, you know, Devondre Robinson back from injury. That's going to be big brought in Wayne Jones as a transfer. So hopefully this is an improved unit, but it was so bad last year that you have to think like, well, you know <laughs> what? Like Scott said, what does that mean for the offense? I, I don't know. Right. So, so then I go in circles and oh, does it mean anything? What you know? What does it mean? <laughs> the double rainbow. What does it mean? That's uh, that's what Nick turns into watching too many of these uh, spring games here. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I I totally understand that. I mean, it, but it's like that in every preseason, you know, and in the draft, there's little things like you know, you watch Christian Watson run like a deer. Uh, against all of these, you know, FCS schools, you know, like, is he just smoking these guys? Cause they're all like five, eight and out of shape like me, or is he smoking these guys because he's an unbelievable athlete? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, I mean, I think Christian Watts is going to be great, but you, you can, you can get in your head about anything like that, but, uh, we've got some big spring games coming up this week two fellows uh obviously uh boston college purdue clemson kentucky nc state pitt arizona auburn nebraska texas a&m north carolina and fsu and those are the big ones there's other ones too uh houston smu utep liberty louisiana north texas toledo east carolina texas state tulsa cincinnati ohio kansas old dominion temple boise state fiu fau usf ulm and arizona state how's arizona state not on the big uh, list here uh, uh so i i put the list out uh because all the the first ones you mentioned are all going to be televised and oh arizona I, state arizona Pac-12 state network so the 11 people that have pac 12 network can watch it <laughs> well so uh arizona state wasn't listed and stanford i might have left 
left off on this list. I don't know. Arizona State and Stanford weren't listed uh, on the, the source I was looking at as being televised. But then I was able to set both of them to record on the Pac-12 network. So maybe they are televised. I don't know. But that that's why they were. Stanford the has a GPA requirement members. to watch their games. Just like to be admitted into their school, Stanford has a GPA requirement to. You have to submit your college transcript to get into Stanford spring game. That that that's what I that's that's just what I'm hearing on the streets. You know that's that's you need no, no actual source there, just complete. So instead of you know you must be this tall to ride, uh, it's uh, you must have this GPA to enter. I mean, imagine you know the kids have to submit their midterm grades to be able to take off the day and go watch Stanford spring game. Spring game wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm just saying. <laughs> Just put that up. <laughs> um, all right. So, I mean, what what are you looking forward to the most uh, from these games, Nick? What's like the what's going to catch your attention the most? Which game are you looking forward to the most? Uh, again, you know, I I kind of I struggle a little bit. Uh, it's it's sort of a situation where I'll know it when I see it. I think. Um, like I, you know, I mentioned, I, I was really impressed with Darius Clemens and, and we've talked before that I'm not a big recruiting guy. So I don't necessarily at this point in the process have a, a real firm grasp, even on, you know, early enrollees who are really highly rated, uh, as to how that will translate to 2022. But what I saw in the spring game was, you know, this is a guy that could, uh, certainly see playing time. Uh, you know, if, if nothing else and, and could potentially uh, be a big time player in the future. I mean, he's, he's got those types of it, it was easy to see even in a very small sample in you know one short uh, little bit of, of a spring game that this guy's got a lot of potential. So uh, a, a name for me to file away and, and you know, we'll see how it, it impacts the fall. But kind of, you know, looking for guys like that a little bit in the spring game. Uh, I, I'm going to try not to get suckered in too much into overemphasizing if somebody comes out and just, you know, is completely unstoppable in, in you know, some facet. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I try not to infer too much as far as, you know, pecking order of the depth chart. I do kind of have a little bit of, you know, my own ideas coming in based on what we saw last year. And, and there are some things you can hear during the spring or read that I think can, uh, you know, misdirect a little bit. Um, so I'll, I'll try not to get caught up in that, but, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see some clues on, uh, you know, oh, this guy really has been practicing like the, you know, go-to wide receiver, or, you know, these two are the, uh, you know, have been the, the running with the ones all spring at corner or, or whatever it is. So I'll, I'll try to pick out little notes like that, that I might've missed leading up to the spring games, but I'm going to try my best not to overreact to, to what I see, regardless of what it is. Like last year when we overreacted to Clemson's entire receiving core in that spring game, I think like 90% of ESPN was like, look at the amazing plays, the one handed grabs in Clemson's spring game. This offense is going to be ridiculous next year. And they averaged like 17 points. And we were like, I mean, uh, spring game world champions, Eric Azucanma out of Texas Tech and Joe Nagata from Clemson. Absolute yes. spring game yes. winners. Right? Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, I remember watching those for sure. Those are some huge <laughs> ones. Is there a position group or a team in particular you're looking forward to watching this weekend, Xavier? 
Yeah, Boston College. Uh, you know, obviously, Phil Yorkovich is a guy that I thought last year was going to make that extra step. It was going to have Boston College as a mini sleeper for me uh, going into last year. Obviously, he wasn't able to play uh, all that much. He only played in five games. He got injured, uh, injured relatively early, and then just then uh, upon his return, wasn't really himself uh, before you know being injured again. And I just think that he's really going to have to take that next step and get back to what he was able to do in 2020 and progress on that when he was able to throw for about 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns and five interceptions for a team in Boston College that I thought last year could, was competing, just didn't have that extra bit of oomph on the offensive end to really win the win the game that you, you know, you felt that they at least were in, you know, that reminds me of the Clemson game in particular, where, you know, they, they lose that game very close. Uh, the offense just didn't get going um, in that game whatsoever. And it was just, you felt like if they had their quarterback, if they had had, you know, just a little bit more offensive production. They may have been able to get it done. Uh, they had another game. Like, you know, their, their season was pretty much just marred by that when you really look at their offense. It was just woeful in some games. Six points versus Syracuse, 14 points versus Louisville, like we mentioned, uh, 23 points versus Florida State at the end of the year when they were still fighting for bowl eligibility. Like, all of that just really, uh, I think, caused them to struggle finishing six and six on the year and two and six in the conference. Uh, you give them some of those games back, you know, uh, and then they're probably more of a nine-win ball club. And I think if you feel Yurkovich was healthy, they may have been able to get those games that were maybe one or two score uh, outfits. So this is it's it's big for that reason. Um, so I'm looking to see what Boston College is able to do from an offensive side uh, because I do believe that if they do, if their offense can't come around, they're a team that can sit in the middle of that ACC and possibly be a team that upsets uh, some teams coming into this year going up. I'm not going to say they're going to be a Wake Forest. Uh, type candidate where they, you know, and they're an ACC championship contender. Uh, but I do think they're a, a competitive team at the very least. Um, and also, you know, this time of year we have injuries. So we've had a couple mm-hmm. here. Um, Houston running back Alton McCaskill suffered a torn ACL, probably done for the year, at least missing the start of the season. So, uh, not a good one for him. He was a big time producer last year for Houston, uh, Washington linebacker, Edufon Olio. Oh man, I'm gonna try this one. This this one it made me stop mid name here uh, <laughs> because I butchered it so bad. Uh, Yula Foshio, who missed uh, time last year, um, was hurt in winter workouts and is expected to miss at least the beginning of the season. And uh, Clemson's, you know, another uh, Clemson wide receiver, uh, freshman wide receiver Adam Randall tore his ACL and you know will probably miss most of the year as well. So. Uh, you know, the worst part about this time of year is hearing these injuries and these guys uh, probably not getting to play it all this season, Nick. So uh, some tough blows already. Yeah, the the McCaskill, you know, that that certainly is a big one. I mean, he was so impressive as a true freshman. He was a uh, even though Houston, of course, is, is moving up to the Big 12 soon. Uh, he was a recruit who uh, signed with a G5 program, but had a lot of interest from Power Five programs was a high, uh, you know, eighty-eight point uh, five rating coming out of, of high school, two four seven sports, over two hundred pounds already, and and uh, you know just a, a physical back who obviously was productive. Nine nine hundred and sixty-one rushing yards, sixteen rushing touchdowns. He also you know could catch the ball, twenty-one catches, one hundred and thirteen yards, and two touchdowns. There's a as a receiver as well. So that's a, a lot of production to replace and somebody who, uh, you know, freshman all American was poised, I think, you know, to be a focal point of what could be, 
you know, one of one of the the top tier uh, New Year's Six challengers among Group of Five programs. So uh, that's a big loss. You know, Tazan Henry uh, right now looks like uh, certainly is the the guy who has the most playing time. Uh, who was behind McCaskill? Really, the only one who played more than just a handful of snaps last year for Houston on uh, that current running back depth chart. So uh, they have brought in a couple of transfers, including one who announced just earlier today, Brandon Campbell from USC. Um, but it's uh, it's it's a big, big loss because Henry, you know, 170 pounds, 180 pounds, something like that, probably, you know, at least on paper, not who you would expect to be able to carry a heavy workload. So they'll turn to guys like Keelan Walker, uh, who is the bigger back, 230 pounds, but then also those uh, transfers and, and, you know, just kind of see who's going to step up and, and be able to take a little bit of pressure off that passing attack. But, you know, Clayton Toon, Nathaniel Dell, those guys should should still continue to be a powerful offense, but losing a guy as, as talented and as productive as McCaskill is certainly a big loss. And um, your, your thoughts on these injuries, Javier? Tough to lose, uh, lose out on a whole year right now. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be a huge loss for CFF guys, too. I think Alden McCaskill is probably a guy that many people are looking at to be. Uh, I'm not, I don't know the draft order Alden McCaskill would have went. But he's got to be a guy who would have been taken pretty early, in my opinion, just for what he did last year. Um, and obviously that hurts him for draft talk as well, because on McCaskill was somebody I was looking at as one of the, the, the better running backs in the country um, and poised for a really big year after after that year he just had. And, you know, obviously we saw guys like even like a George Pickens last year get, you know, just tear his ACL in the springtime. And he didn't even get to come back until what? the national championship game or like a game or two before, like it, it, there's no way that these kids for the most part are, are going to make it back. Even with modern medicine at, at least 10 weeks into the season, 11 weeks into the season, even this early in the spring practice, because there's no telling how the body will react once they get back on the field. And you really don't want to even risk that unless the kid is genuinely just like, yo, let me play in a national championship slash, you know, conference championship like uh situation uh so I'm, I'm really bummed out for the kids for that reason you know um to have it in, in in you know in this far away from the season uh the actual season really just hurts uh but like you said luckily for houston and, and for for the rest of these teams they can go out into the transfer portal and possibly find some 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 band-aids to, to to definitely you know make an impact whilst on mccaskill uh I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. And then Adam Randall is out. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm sorry to the kid. Yeah, I just, yeah. I don't want to butcher it. Like, you know, and I, yeah, it sucks. You know, I've had a, a bunch of friends tear their ACL in spring practice and it's, it's not fun. It's just not a fun yeah. situation. Uh, we had some portal news too here. Uh, obviously, uh, the portal is always rocking and rolling. It's one of uh, Nick's new favorite things. So he gets to uh, add guys on and off teams all year long, of course. But uh, Corey Rucker was a big one uh, moving from Arkansas State to South Carolina. We also had Buffalo running back Dylan McDuffie enter the transfer portal again for the second time this year. SMU added a former Rice wide receiver, Jake Bailey. Toledo transfer wide receiver Isaiah Winstead committed to ECU. On the flip side, on the defensive side of the ball, West Virginia defensive lineman Akeem Mesador surprised a lot of people when he entered the portal last week, but West Virginia has been having a bit of an exodus. And over a week ago, but of course, you know, we haven't recorded in two weeks, uh, FSU lost their quarterback, uh, cornerback Jarvis Brownlee. Miami added UCLA uh, pass rusher Mitchell Aguide and Memphis defensive end Morris Joseph 
committed to Georgia Tech. And then earlier today, USC running back Brandon Campbell announced his intent to transfer to Houston, which should should plug a hole uh, now that McCaskill is gone. So uh, a lot of transfers. I mean, Rucker, I know for CFF, a lot of people were wondering where Rucker is going. I don't know. I think uh, South Carolina makes everybody a little lukewarm. But uh, uh, just because they don't throw the ball that much, they're more of a, you know, run a lot and play defense. But they added Rattler, too. So uh, starting to kind of get an all-star feel going on in South Carolina. Yeah. And, and following up, you know, what Xavier said about uh, McCaskill and CFF. In the, in the last draft I did, he was a fourth rounder. Uh, I believe the 40th overall pick, 14th running back. So certainly somebody who, you know, a lot of people have high hopes for. And Rucker, yeah, I, I noticed a lot of the, the CFF talk of, as well. Uh, there was certainly some interest. A lot of people were really kind of hoping he would reconnect maybe with uh, his old head coach, Blake Anderson, who used him uh, you know, to, to great effect at Arkansas State. Maybe they would reconnect at Utah State. But we talked about this a few weeks ago that, you know, sometimes when you have an opportunity to show what you can do at a, you know, considerably higher level, uh, it's hard to say no to that. And, and so the opportunity arose at South Carolina. Sounded like he had some other SEC offers as well. I think Auburn was in the mix. But South Carolina is a really, really interesting landing spot. They are a team that has certainly been you know, on my mind a little bit the last week or so as we're transitioning to uh, now having the, the 2022 team profiles up and running. Because uh, without looking, what, where would you guess the South Carolina uh, overall roster or then then specifically their offense ranks in roster strength? 32nd. Yeah, I was going to say somewhere between... 32nd overall? Uh, I was going to say somewhere between 35 and 40 overall just because they're still an SEC team and all those SEC teams are in the top half, but they're you know low for the SEC. Uh, offense, uh, 65, 70. <laughs> all right so so either uh this is going to be an example of of kind of how the work that we do might you know help uncover some maybe unknown facts or that south carolina is a team that we are just you know don't necessarily have a great read on they rank 17th in overall 17th overall okay on offense number four Four on offense. <laughs> hey, Rattler four. must be carrying. Well, so Rattler was a five star, right? So okay, he is right. he is a uh, five star recruit. That's we kept his uh, high school rating. He's also had some spurts of productivity. He's had seventeen true. career starts. You know, he, he's he a Heisman favorite last bad. year, right? This is true. You know, to so, start the year, he's a Heisman favorite. So he is a ninety six and a half, basically ranked quarterback that's a that's a big piece of it because of that south carolina ranks seventh in our quarterback uh position rating second in the sec and he's got some talented guys behind him which factor in a little bit but you know marshawn lloyd was a really really high uh four-star guy at running back they brought in multiple transfers at running back so that unit is really highly rated. I mean, 32nd, but still, I mean, that's actually the, the lowest ranked unit. At receiver, not only do they bring back Rucker, they have Antoine Wells. They have two really highly, you know, really uh, uh, two guys at tight end who have the 
ability to do a lot of things can be big time factors in Jaheim Bell, who they're talking about. By the way, the name I've heard more than anybody this spring is Debo Samuel, just because every team is looking apparently for the next Debo Samuel. Uh, and that's, you know, Jaheim Bell got got looped into that conversation earlier this spring, but they also brought in Austin Stogner, who is, you know, in the nineties in our player ratings because he was a high four-star guy and also has, you know, done some good things in the past. They bring back four returning starters on the offensive line. It was not a great offensive line last year. It ranked 99th in our O-line performance ratings, but they also bring back Dylan Wanham, who was their best offensive lineman who missed a, a big chunk of last year. He's the, the non-returning starter. That unit ranks 10th in our O-line strength ratings when we combine the talent ratings and the performance ratings. And just from a pure talent standpoint, they rank third in offensive line uh, talent. So this South Carolina offense has the potential, at least on paper, to be one of the best units in the country. Now, you know, will that translate? Don't know. Will the offense uh, improve? Will, you know, is is the scheme uh, are the, you know, is the coaching staff and, and the buy-in and the understanding of the playbook and all that, are we going to see a jump in year two? Are we going to see a jump just because, you know, they brought in some really talented guys? Uh, it, it, you know, that remains to be seen. I don't know. I don't know quite if I'm ready to, to say South Carolina is going to be one of the top offensive, you know, top offenses in the country as far as points and yards and, and efficiency and all that. But at least the way we calculate it, the talent is there. And uh, I was shocked <laughs> when I saw that they were fourth in roster strength. Obviously, you guys didn't see that coming. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, at least, like I said, the way we calculate it, and as we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, you know, season long, we've got a pretty good track record uh, as far as how we kind of, you know, rate teams in, in the preseason uh, South Carolina is going to be an interesting one because they are on paper a very, very talented team, especially on offense. Fourth. Sounds uh, very Tennessee-esque there, Scott. I was going to say Texas-esque, you know, honestly. That too. Like, you know, a lot of talent. Uh, a lot of talent on that team. Um, Texas is third, by the way. See? <laughs> oh, yeah, just See? get them hyped. Yeah, here See? we go. Oh, I, you think I'm going to fall into that trap again? No, thanks. So, uh, look, I, I will be ecstatic if they finish, uh, you know, and, and play well and can actually tackle. But uh, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for that low. first Quinn Ewers tight spiral to have all the Texas Twitter like already yeah. ready to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the spring <laughs> games on, I think, the 24th, 23rd, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it, don't worry. It, it'll be there for sure. <laughs> um, but let's uh, I mean, let's talk about, you know, we just kind of talked about, obviously, um, you know, some of these FBS team profiles. Uh, but Nick, uh, you've been working hard on them. So why don't you tell us any other surprises that 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 you saw and kind of uh, get us ready for uh, the new season? I mean, once again, I cannot reiterate this enough. I have played college fantasy football since 2014, 2012, something like that for a long time and um it has just been it's so hard to find depth charts for college teams because the colleges don't want to put them out uh there's a lot of like there's so much information to comb through let nick be your algorithm if you've been looking for just straight depth charts uh 
go to Nick, go to patreon.com slash CFP winning edge and check them out because there you won't find better ones anywhere else. So, uh, I mean, that is a big part of why I like them, but you know, Nick is going to tell you they offer so much more than just depth charts. But I mean, I remember that is like, you know, cause I go to our lads, our lads is pretty decent for the NFL not very good for college football. So this is where I get my depth charts and this is where I'd recommend everybody. But, um, Nick obviously spent the last, uh, uh, couple weeks turning his brain into a computer and, um, finishing this up and getting all these numbers put in and all that good stuff. So, uh, take, take it away, Nick, what can we expect from the, uh, you know, the team profiles this season? Uh, well, so they if you've if you've been a Patreon supporter in the past, they look very similar. Um, we have all the you know same ratings and, and rankings. The big ones, roster strength is you know the biggest piece of the puzzle as far as our projections go. It's it's I think somewhat unique uh, in the industry because we do take talent projections, the two four seven ratings, the rivals ratings, and we actually use you know experience where the the player is in their uh just sort of you know their their class uh standing whether they're a freshman or a senior or whatever uh and we do weight by experience but then we also add in production and so we do try to uh you know put a system in place to bridge the gap if a guy came into college underrated um and really has emerged as one of the best players in college football, we, we tried to build a system that would help to capture that. And so we, we uh, use this formula, build individual player ratings for every scholarship player in college football. Uh, and then we try to build out, you know, a lot of the, the non-scholarship guys, roster depth guys as well, especially if they, you know, do have a role uh, of some sort. But I think it's, you know, 10, 11,000 players, something like that that we've got ratings for. Um, we have head coach ratings. We will have updated coordinator ratings. That's something that's going to be, uh, you know, a month or more away just because I'm, I'm redoing uh, the way we've done that in the past. But we have historical information on team performance, offense, defense, special teams, dating back to uh, 2015 for every team. We've got recruiting strength information, uh, you know, history of, of, recruiting classes going back to 2015 for every team. I've already, you know, used the team profiles a couple of times talking about, you know, South Carolina and, and you know, where the quarterback uh, unit ranks and, you know, Michigan where their wide receiver ranks. We have all of that average 247 rating, average rivals rating, our individual player uh, ratings. We have all of that. You can see where they rank in every unit uh, for all 130 teams. Uh, we have all the schedules, so even the you know updated uh, Conference USA and, and Sunbelt schedules. Uh, we've got projections for all 130 teams, uh, projected point spreads, our talent edge projections. Uh, we will have our third you know stats only model that's getting completely revamped this year as well. That'll be available uh, you know in a few weeks or a month. But um, you know our, our main projection model is up and running. We've got projected win totals for every team based on those individual game projections. We update the depth charts anytime you know I see something about uh, you know a transfer injury or you know so and so is 
um, you know, really moved ahead and, and has a chance to be the starting quarterback, then that person, you know, will make an adjustment there. Maybe we'll have to to split the rating at the quarterback. Uh, you know, the way our, our projection model takes that in, into account, if if it could be two guys. You know, there, there's there's a ton that goes into it. There are many, many uses. You know, we, we definitely have a lot of support from the CFF community. Uh, very appreciative of that. We do have people who are interested in it for the projections piece of it, for, you know, handicapping and, and you know, point spread projections, all of that. We have, you know, just fans who, who want to know uh, anytime they're watching a game, you know, a player pops up on the screen, maybe they don't know anything about them. We have, you know, you can pull up the, the team page and, and we have his height, weight, state he came from, whether it was a high school recruit, JUCO, transfer, you know, his recruiting ratings, games played, games started, all, all that good stuff. Just uh, I built this basically because I wanted pretty much a one-step, one-stop shop for the things I wanted to know about college football. And, and so tried to incorporate as much of that as possible as it could into our team profiles. Hopefully, you know, folks out there find them useful. I'm always open to suggestions, ideas, ways I can make them better. And then, you know, as I mentioned, there are a couple of other uh, pieces that, that will be coming later with our full returning production uh, database. And that has, you know, all the stats you could ever want, um, individual player, you know, targets and, and pressures and, uh, you know, tackles for loss, sacks, uh, all, you know, uh, what, what, what a havoc rate, all, all that good stuff. Um, that'll be available soon. And so, you know, hopefully if, if you just can't get enough college football information, uh, we tried our best to, to give you as much as you could possibly use. And, and, and like I mentioned, I'm always hoping to make them better and better each year. So we've tightened up a lot of, uh, uh, you know, some rough edges maybe we've had in the past. I've put a few things in that hopefully will let me update uh, the numbers a little bit quicker than ever this year. And, and uh, you know, as we get rolling closer and closer to the season, uh, we will sharpen them, you know, more and more, the depth chart piece of it. Uh, all the, the, you know, anybody falls off the roster, we'll try our best to make note of that. Injuries, all that good stuff. Try to stay on top of it. And, and you know, our team profiles, uh, I think, are, are pretty good. I use them all day, every day. And uh, hopefully, you know, you would find some some use in them as well. And if you think so, you know, please do check us out, patreon.com slash CFP Winning Edge uh, and become a tier two Patreon supporter. We, we would absolutely love to have you. And if, you know, once you sign up, if you have any questions, uh, you get a direct link to me to help you walk through anything that you want to know or how to use them or, or uh, anytime you might see a mistake, you know, just let me know. Try my best to get that corrected as soon as possible. But uh, very on, excited. Nick, you can't keep up with thirty-five thousand players or whatever it is in uh, college football. It's, that's ridiculous. Come on. <laughs> well, you know, there there are uh, there are some accidents that happen. Sometimes a guy gets, uh, you know, the the transition from uh, one year to the next when you're taking guys off of one sheet and you know trying to put them back on the next every once in a while, like a guy will get deleted. I know I got a, a, a message, our guy, Clint, uh, who listens, he noticed that uh, Boise State, I, I accidentally deleted uh, or had him miscategorized. I think I'd, I I had him uh, listed as not using his full eligibility. So I don't know. I, I made a mistake. 
and Clint let me know, hey, you know, this guy uh, is still on the roster. And I was able to, you know, put him back uh, five minutes later. And so uh, we know they're not perfect. We know there'll be mistakes, but try to correct those as quickly as we can. Especially, and, and- I mean, you know, until we get four years out of uh, the 2020 season, you know, it's going to be weird with guys' eligibility for the whole way through because some of them are getting an extra year and they don't tell anyone, you know, it's just, it's insanity. Uh, so, but at least the transfer portal was added in that time too. So there you go. Yeah. So uh, well, the transfer portal, I think in a lot of ways, even though it's more active, it's, it's helped because makes um, it easier. There are things out there, you know, there, there are other websites, there are other, uh, you know, Twitter feeds and whatnot who who are on top of that stuff. And so uh, if I miss, you know, if I miss the player uh, announcing and miss the beat reporter uh, retweeting it, then hopefully one of those other sites will, will catch it. Uh, and, you know, I, I do go back and, and go through the official roster uh, multiple times. Like I've already been through all the 2022 rosters a couple of times already. Uh, there are, I think four or five teams that, that haven't updated theirs yet, but pretty, pretty good so far on that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that has been helpful. Um, but there's certainly, there's a lot to keep track of. And so we do miss some things, we do make mistakes sometimes, but, um, fortunately we've got a lot of people who, uh, are just great at, you know, if they see something that's, that's, uh, needs attention, let me know. And, and I'll try to fix it as soon as is absolutely possible, but uh, you might have seen if you you know follow us on Twitter that I uh, posted the uh, rankings, the 131 now uh, because we did add the James Madison sheet this year, uh, and we will have Jacksonville State and uh, who's the other one? Save Houston State uh, this summer since they'll be transitioning to FBS in, in 2023. Uh, but put out the the rankings, and of course as as a Patreon supporter and, and having access, you get all the, the ratings so you can see that there might be, you know, tiers. You might see that, you know, the gaps between this team and that are, are uh, you know, bigger or smaller than just what they are rankings one through 130, but did post that publicly and, and we'll, we'll do that, that probably once a month leading up to the season. Uh, but our first official set of, power rankings. And, and, uh, there were a couple of teams that jumped out to me. Um, you know, I, I mentioned specifically the day before that, that I found it very annoying that both Texas and UCLA were in our top 15, just because I don't trust either of those teams, but you know, they are very talented. There's certainly a lot of potential there. Uh, but then, you know, when I posted the full list, I, I, uh, said, you know, I think teams like, Cincinnati, LSU, Texas, UCLA, Pitt, Auburn, Coastal Carolina, Western Kentucky, Wyoming, UTEP, and Nevada were the ones that that struck me maybe as a touch too high, and and some probably more than just a touch too high. And then the teams that I thought were probably too low uh, might have been Baylor, Michigan State, Wake Forest, Missouri, Stanford, Indiana, James Madison, Northern Illinois, Vanderbilt, and Navy. But I wondered if there were any that, that jumped out to you guys that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be annoyed that Texas is so high. Maybe they are ready to, you know, be a a top 15 type team. I don't know. So curious what you guys think as far as this first set of, of power ratings 
uh, how they shake up. And and do remember, these are what team would be favored <laughs> against the other on a neutral field. Um, that that's how we we decide these rankings. They are not opinion based. It's only based on the numbers. A and M was too high. Oklahoma was too high. <laughs> obviously, you know, uh, number five A and M, number yeah. six Oklahoma. Yeah. I think Tennessee we're, was too high. We're a little higher on Oklahoma, maybe than than a lot of the like you know way too early rankings and, and stuff I've seen. I feel like Oklahoma's uh, maybe toward the bottom half of the the or toward the bottom of the top ten. Maybe even a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. First year head coach, a lot of turnover. Uh, but we're, you know, and we're always pretty high on Oklahoma as Xavier, uh, will be quick to point out <laughs> Scott too, of course. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. but, uh, yeah, they, I mean, you know, they're, they're, I, I, I struggle a little bit with Texas A&M. I, uh, you know, I, I feel like there is a pretty big tear break between that was all sarcasm. Number four Clemson. Uh, well, it wasn't. No, I, I think. I think Texas A&M is is one. I think Texas A&M was is one genuinely. Yeah, one, I think A&M. Discussed. I mean, they could have been ranked seventieth, and I would have said they're too high. So. Well, well, <laughs> I think A&M is a team that, due to the recruiting class that they just brought in, is being like this is one of those years for Jimbo that if they don't like genuinely compete for the SEC West, people are like this is a failure of a season, and like I like. I've heard some just 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 ridiculous statements uh, along the lines when it comes to how good this recruiting class is and how good Texas A&M should be off the back of it. And I think even people are going back and being like, well, they did beat Bama last year. So, like, this is a team that comes in this year with a little bit more confidence around Alabama. And I'm like, all right, guys, let's chill out with A&M. You know, uh, A&M has been a team that, bring, that has brought in amazing classes before and underwhelmed. Like, let's see what they do on the field. Before we ever, you know, before we start to prognosticate that this team is going to challenge for the SEC West or be one of those sleeper teams, I think they are one of those teams like Oklahoma was last year, in my opinion, that's getting a lot of buzz for people who are like, yeah, they, they could absolutely run the table this year. I don't see why not. Um, I don't I don't know that I see anyone else that's uh, Xavier. Do you have anyone else on this list that you're like, how is this team this high? Not really. I, I think. Nick has done a really good. Job. I think this is a really a really good job. I was gonna do the same thing you did. I was gonna be like Tennessee's too high. You know, <laughs> just 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 start to you know slander a couple of teams. Kentucky's uh, too low. You know, of course, you, the, you know I have to push normals. my Kentucky. Right, right, yeah, right. I have to push my Kentucky agenda every season. Uh, you know, and it won't change this year either. Uh, Mark Stoops, in my opinion, is a savant and shall be you know a savant as long as he stays at Kentucky and doesn't move to a bigger program that actually could contend with Georgia. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, uh, I don't actually see anybody that's honestly that high or, or, or too high than I would have expected to be with it being the offseason. I have to reframe a little bit with that, uh, understanding that right now we are looking at like, you know, recruiting classes and talent ratings and not necessarily what look is what the on-field product is showing us or even we're being scorned by previous you know, previous letdowns like a Texas or, you know, something or rather like that where it's like, oh, or like a USC where all this talent can mean absolutely nothing you know i mean i was just about to mention nebraska too that's uh, fair at, at, at 40 uh, 41 you still have them seventh in the big 10 though i mean uh, and that that's a that's a point that that we should make as well it it, it is a power ratings setup like mm-hmm, i said who mm-hmm. would be favored over who on a neutral field and so when you think that in a in connection with the way most people or, or the way we mostly think of a top 25 team or a top right. 40 team, you think, okay, that's, you know, 
top 25 team that that means something top 40 team that's a you know certainly a bowl team certainly uh, a team that you know has the ability maybe to become a top 25 team in the top third yeah right and so. but uh you you brought up a good one nebraska seventh in the big 10 how about this one mississippi state 11th in the sec 34th nationally so that you know that that throws it off a little bit where yeah. we're talking about a team you know that that mm, i mean six and six getting to a bowl <laughs> is is probably uh maybe not the worst case scenario but probably a pretty likely uh set of outcomes but you know top 35 team and and, and a seven and five team or or even an eight win team uh you 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 probably have higher, or at least I do, or have for a long time. Oh, that team is is close to the top twenty-five. How in the world, you know, are, are they? I don't think uh, eleven through ninety-nine. <laughs> I don't think eleven through ninety-nine should be available for Mike Leach. There, like Mike Leach is always Ricky Bobby coaching, right? It's uh, if you ain't first, you're last. You're last. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, so um, it, was there anyone Xavier that you see on this list that you think is uh, too low that deserves uh, to have I mean, respect can, put more on their name? I could be at Homer and say Georgia State. Be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I think this is a team. Georgia State's in a pretty nice spot, though. They're they're fourth in the Sun Belt. They're one ahead of Louisiana. Do I do I genuinely do I go out of the limb and say that? I was a little surprised that Louisiana was seventieth because they think Louisiana's exodus has caused that a little bit. They 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 lost a lot and a new head coach. We do right. So the the way we break it down, roster strength is about fifty percent of the calculation. Right. Um, the team performance, and it's a three-year weighted team performance where last year means the most, but we do try to guard against a little bit of, of like a one-year wonder type situation. Uh, right. But so so that piece of it, the, the team performance uh, counts 25%. The head coach rating, which is also team performance, but it's specific to the head coach, is 15%. Uh, and, and or excuse me, I, I misspoke earlier. Roster strength is actually 60%. And then uh, team performance three-year weighted is 25%. And then the head coach specific team performance is 15%. So Louisiana did lose some on roster strength and they lost some because now they have a first time head coach instead of uh, a head coach who, you know, had taken a roster that wasn't spectacular and turned it into uh, a head coach rating of 31. So Billy Napier, you know, because those are all based on team performance, 31 is really good. He's probably a top 30 head coach, I would say, probably even uh, maybe top 20 uh, certainly has that that potential, but it, it's it's tied specifically to where he's been in the past uh, at Louisiana. But so they're, they're dropping down from Napier to Michael Desormeau, who has a generic 75 rating. He's never been a head coach before. So now he sits 122nd. Uh, that's different. That's a, that's a drop. So yeah. that's, that's part of it there. But I, I personally was a little surprised that Louisiana was that low, but I felt pretty good about Georgia state being one spot higher. I, I didn't necessarily. I'm just that. really, 
I'm just really bullish on Georgia State this year. I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, I, I am just highly bullish on a team that last year and, and for the last two seasons really has competed with the top of the Sun Belt very well, really outside of Appalachian State. They've been in close games with Louisiana, with Coastal Carolina. They beat Coastal Carolina last year. And that was amongst, you know, and that was uh, a mix, excuse me, uh, a quarterback change midway through the year. Um, you know, this is a team that got stomped in their non-conference schedule last year, was able to rally and, and win a back-to-back, you know, bowl game and i genuinely just think they're, they're moving in a direction where we, i wouldn't be surprised if we get to november and you know georgia state's genuinely competing for the sun belt that's just i'm just a little bit more bullish um not just even because i'm you know that'll be my alma mater in t minus the month but like genuinely uh just i i look at the product on the field and i look at what shiny has been able to do there in the last three or four years and it's been really really good a team i will say that i do feel like is in and in a really good spot to move, it, it, I, I, Washington. I'm really still the 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 uh, the buck is out on me on their quarterback situation. Still, uh, even though they got the transfers in that they did, so I'm still a little bit you know expecting them to make a run at this. Though I, I think Washington is one of those teams that last year I said before the year started, their quarterback situation scared me a lot. I think the quarterback situation, but I believe Michael Penix is now there uh, is going to be better. Uh, and I do genuinely believe this is a team that in a in a Pac-12 that I think. Talent-wise, and it has a lot of talent in it. Somebody's gonna have to make themselves the best team in that conference. Much like what what uh, Utah did last season, there's gonna be a team in there that is going to take. Uh, it's gonna surprise a couple of teams. I think Washington could be that. Um, and I think they fixed their quarterback issue. This is a team that always trots out a pretty solid defense. And as long as they have a quarterback back there that's not like a complete net negative can put points on the board. And so Washington being there at 45, I think has a real chance of being sixth in the Pac-12. I think they have a real chance of moving up on, uh, or, or they're in a really good sweet spot to be kind of, kind of your sleeper in the Pac-12 coming into the year. I, I got to think, that, well, go ahead, Nick. Oh, I, I'm just still, I'm just annoyed still at Washington. They, they were <laughs> completely, uh, you know, we were really high on Washington yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. They were really bad. So and now, they're, you and know, now, they, they, they burnt Montana. They was it Montana? They, they, I mean, we lost yeah. Go yeah. they, they lost yeah, Montana. Yeah. Now, Nick, uh, and, and you can tell Gris. me, re- returning production-wise, if we were that high on them last year and their mm-hmm. quarterback situation, in my opinion, is like just – categorically better than it was, you know, going from Dylan Morris to Michael Penix. If they're returning one of the, rather the same roster, should we, like I said, should I be more bullish on them actually than I was? Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that they're going to be a top two team in the Pac-12. I'm not going to go on that much of a limb, but maybe top four, uh, maybe they, maybe, you know, in that situation. So. So Washington is, is 45th, uh, 45th in our power ratings. Uh, right, right, right. Sixth in Pac-12, they 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 do have a very talented roster. The quarterback position, you know, again on paper, uh, is a they're they're 28th in our quarterback position strength ratings. But when you look at the individual, you know, raw talent, they're top 10 right. in average two four seven average rivals ratings, and then the actual average. Uh, player rating, their top five, because they have three guys who are, you know, 85 or above. Sam Heward, we actually have as the, the number one quarterback on the list, but we have right now, uh, and I think Penix was last I heard, last practice, I saw the, the guy who got the number one reps, but Morris apparently is still in the mix as well. We, we basically treat them all as starters. Um, so the, the, the way that the rating works out there. Um, I don't know. 
I think Washington has a lot of potential. The talent is good. They're 31st overall in roster strength, uh, 44th on offense, 29th on defense. The quarterback situation, I, I think, will work itself out. They've got three really solid options. I like the the direction they went in with their new coaching staff. I think the you know there was a lot of untapped potential with the offense under the previous coaching staff. Um, so I think guys like Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunes, uh, you know, talented receivers who didn't, you know, perform at a, at a very high level in part because just, you know, they didn't have a, a, a great system in place. I, I, I am optimistic about Washington. I always guard myself a little bit when it's a first year head coach, but Kalen DeBoer is a top 40 head coach, you know, has a top 40 head coach rating uh, that he built over the, the few years he was at Fresno state. That offense was really, really good. So I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, they do. If they get Jackson Kirtland, Kirkland back uh, starting left tackle, who started 39 games in his career. Um he is apparently waiting on a waiver. He declared for the NFL draft, but then wanted to, to come back. He's also been dealing with an injury. If he's back and healthy, I think the offensive line is going to be very good. And the defensive line and the run defense was really, really bad last year. So they, they've got to get that fixed. Um, but, you know, I can talk myself into Washington being, uh, yeah, a, a – seven, eight win team at minimum. Uh, right now we have them favored in their first four games and then uh, five of their last six. So we actually have them favored in nine games, but that doesn't mean we expect them to win nine games because they're only favored you know, by one and a half against Michigan State, by uh, less than three against Cal by four against Oregon State by two against Washington State and so you know those are those are teams that Washington should have a talent advantage against and to be in basically a coin flip situation that hasn't been you know they they haven't proven worthy of of trust in those situations the last year or two so I don't know uh, a lot of uh, you know as I as I often do long long winding. Uh, road to saying, I don't know, but I, I am optimistic that Washington could be uh, much improved, we'll say. And I think the offense in particular has has a lot of reason to be optimistic that, that they'll be better. I was looking and I mean, I just, I don't know a ton about the roster. I know they've lost a lot, but this has got to be one of the lower rankings to start the year for Virginia Tech that they've ever had. I believe, um, 11th in the ACC and I was just 72 overall Nick I mean uh Virginia Tech would be taking quite a step back here right yeah uh and and Virginia Tech is a team that we've been probably a little too high on in the past so sometimes I worry uh when we do see see a shift like this because this time last year we had Virginia Tech I want to say it's a top 25 team I mean I remember I was scared to death all summer that we actually had Virginia Tech favored over North Carolina in week one. And I just thought like that, that was just driving me nuts. I didn't think that was, you know, I, I just figured something was wrong. Uh, <laughs> we ended up, it was fortunate that Virginia Tech won that game because they didn't end up being a great team. But 
um, they've fallen quite a bit. And, you know, last year they weren't, they weren't a good team. They went six and seven, but they finished 88th in overall team performance uh, outside the top 80, both on offense and defense. And they lost, they lost a lot. And, you know, according to Bill Connolly's numbers, their offensive returning production, they're 106th overall on the roster. They're 64th, but you know, they, they lost playmakers uh, to the NFL draft guys like Raheem Blackshear, Trey Turner. Um, They lost four starters on the offensive line including Luke Tenuta, who left early. Um, they've had, you know, Jaden Payette was a really, really highly rated recruit who has only you know, only played 10 games in his career and then unfortunately uh, had to medically retire. Uh, they had a situation where Jermaine Waller was expected to be back. I believe it was Waller. Maybe it was Devon Hunter. I don't know. One, one uh, projected starter in the secondary uh, was expected to be back but had an eligibility issue that that he ended up having to move on. So they lost a bunch just in, you know, medical issues and, and guys leaving for the NFL draft. But then they also lost some guys to the transfer portal as well. I mean, Braxton Burmeister wasn't spectacular, but uh, was a, was the starting quarterback last year. Ends up transferring to San Diego State. And then Tav- Tavion Robinson, probably their best uh, offensive player, just – my my own personal opinion uh transferred to Kentucky and and you know has the the uh seems like the guy who's going to you know step into the role that Wondell Robinson ha- had last year for the Wildcats so you know losing your starting quarterback to the transfer portal losing uh arguably your best offensive player to the transfer portal and then just a lot of guys you know to the NFL draft or or being out of eligibility there's a there's a bunch of roster turnover there that is going to be difficult, uh, you know, for them as a team that has a first-time, first-year head coach, um, and also, you know, a team that has underachieved. Sometimes a team like that, when you get a, a change in leadership, um, that'll create a spark, and maybe they'll bounce back. But the way our numbers treat it right now uh, doesn't necessarily, you know, don't necessarily expect Virginia Tech to. Uh, turn things around. I expect them actually to, to keep sliding a little bit uh, into a team that is going to struggle maybe to, to make a bowl game. And first-year head coach under Brent Pry, so that also. That's yeah. always something. Yeah. And, and because we do put a number on on head coach ratings, it's always a little bit of a, a guessing game when it is somebody who takes over a Power 5 program. Uh, I, I usually, you know, Brent Pry gave a generic 80 head coach rating. Uh, so just a little less than average. Um, and, you know, that ranks 91st, but it's not a big, big jump between right. there and like top 50 or so. So, you know, it, I just, I, you kind of have to go with something uh, on that, but we do expect, or, or I usually, I guess, err on the side of a first time head coach, you know, being a, a negative compared to, you know, the roster on hand, uh, but not, you know, that's certainly not always the case. And, and Virginia Tech could maybe be a team because they have more talent than they've shown in the past. And they're a top 20 defense in roster strength still, even though they lost some talented guys. You know, they, they do have three returning starters in the secondary and two guys uh, on both the offensive line and the linebacker core. Plus, they have some guys returning from injury. Plus, they brought in uh, at least least one transfer who, who might end up starting in uh, Fildarius Payne, the edge rusher from Nebraska. So it could be, you know, 
with now a defensive-minded head coach, they could actually be a, a very, very good defense, and maybe that'll help them keep, you know, keep games close and have a chance to win late in the fourth quarter. Grant Wells uh, transferred in as starting quarterback. Uh, he has, has shown flashes at Marshall. Um, looks like he's got, you know, a slight lead over Jason Brown, who started last year at South Carolina. They brought in Jaden Blue, who has uh, you know, been productive at Temple as their probably number one receiver. So, you know, they're, they're, I can talk myself into Virginia Tech right, having a right. path toward being better than this rating, certainly. Uh, but right now, there's just so much turnover that it's too much it's, in the way. I think so. And, and so I yeah. would tend to, you know, is Virginia Tech overrated or underrated uh, or correctly rated? You know, I, I would I would tend toward 72 right. being about right. I mean, maybe they should be closer to 50, but I think this is not a, a top 50 team, at least, you know, for what I see right this second. Um, now, win totals is something that CFB winning edge crushed last year. I mean, uh, you know, I know that Nick isn't the biggest bragger on the planet, you know, uh, won't go to Facebook and do I told you so's or keep receipts or any of that good stuff that uh, we know that Xavier and I would absolutely have done. But last season, uh, excellent for the win totals and our, our biggest success in 2021. And Nick, why don't you read off the stats? Because I want to hear your voice when you read off these stats from 2021 as far as win totals go. So one of the, the big things that the team profiles do uh, is, you know, because we do have the schedules in there, because we have all our, uh, you know, all of our numbers in and, and our power ratings, we can project individual game point spreads. And then you add up, you know, based on the, the uh, projected winning percentage, you add all those numbers up and, and gets you a win total. And, and those are available. We have those uh, on each page for the team. And then we have, uh, you know, the national rankings page. If you scroll all the way to the, the end of it, you'll see a column that has uh, all the win totals there as well, both overall and for uh, conference wins. And there was this week uh, or last week when that posted uh, I believe these these are the first that I was aware of. They might have been the first, you know, actually posted anywhere win totals, but they only did the SEC West. Thought that that would be actually a pretty good jumping off point to show uh, some people maybe, you know, how we use the the team profiles to uh, look at win totals. And last year, as you said, it was it was really good. We had 120 win total projections. I think there were a couple that our projection was just right on what the. Uh, Sportsbook that we compared them to did. So we threw a couple of those out. Uh, we used a New Jersey sportsbook, so we couldn't do Rutgers. And then maybe there was one or two missing. So we had 120 win totals. We finished uh, 78, 42, and 5. So that was a, a nice round 65%. Um, but, you know, in some cases, we might have been over by 0.01 wins or something. And so, it you know, uh, just to, to break it out a little bit on the ones that we actually showed an edge, uh, there were 27 of them where our win total projection, and this was official, I believe we did these in late July, early August. It was part of our uh, you know, three, hour, three and a half hour conference previews, which we're going to try not to do. I know 
we'll 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 talk, but but uh, uh, we're gonna try to we're gonna try to be a little more buttoned we're gonna up. We're streamline that process. Yeah, yes. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try. <laughs> but anyway, this this was during all that. Uh, we had twenty seven where uh, we had a difference of a a full win or more, and we. Uh, posted an 18, eight and one record in those, which was 69.2%. So uh, this was a, an absolute strength for us. Uh, last year was, was the only year that we did just kept a full uh, list of all the, the win total projections. Um, so I don't, you know, have a, a full list of all 130 teams going back, you know, multiple years, but uh, anecdotally, I, I feel like we've done a pretty good job in years past as well. And, and don't I don't expect us to hit 65% or better every year. Uh, but I, I feel like we have a pretty good system in place for identifying some of these. Uh, and especially, you know, we've, we've been pretty fortunate at, at times with uh, the win totals that have been plus or minus one. I know I've personally bet uh, those multiple years and, and have uh, done pretty well from a, a profit and loss perspective. Uh, margin standpoint on on those so uh hopefully you know we'll be able to identify um and, and kind of keep it going and, and identify some uh, solid value this year as well now um not a lot of win totals available yet but we did just get uh, uh win totals uh for the sec west from WinBet wynn bet um and there's some interesting numbers here uh, Alabama's at 11 and a half A&M's at nine, uh, Ole Miss is at eight Mississippi state is six and a half. So is Arkansas LSU is only at six and Auburn is at five. And I can already see on this board, there are, uh, a couple, uh, ones that we like to hit and a couple we like to go under. So, uh, what do you think of these numbers here, Nick? Uh, well, first, actually, before we get into the, the actual numbers, what, what do you guys think on some of these? Because, uh, you know, Alabama 11 and a half, they're our number one team, obviously. Um, think that they have the best chance of anybody right. to win the national championship. Uh, 11 and a half is a big number, uh, you know, just takes one loss there. But I'm, I'm curious, especially your thoughts on the bottom end of this, LSU at six and Auburn at five because they just jump out as bets. They they jump out as bets because those numbers are so low. Yeah. You don't, you don't think Auburn's going to win half their games? As overs? Yeah. That's a surprise. Yeah. As overs for sure. Because I mean, you know, these are two schools that are steeped in tradition. They haven't had the best track record recently, obviously. Uh, But I mean, you know, these are. But to expect them to lose that many games. Great recruits, too. So, um, yeah, expecting them to lose a lot of games is, you know, uh, it it seems like bait. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It definitely (laughs) seems like bait, particularly with Auburn and LSU. However, Ole Miss is is a bet I look at and I absolutely think is possible Um, at at eight at this point. Um, To go over? Under. Under. Uh, I wouldn't under. be surprised if they would under. Uh, and of course, these are just regular season. Yeah. So the 12 regular right. season games, no bowl games, no SEC championships. Exactly. Um, I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. Ole Miss is a scary one. But if you were to put a gun to my head and tell me which one I need to go for, I'm going under for them. I think that they, as good as they could be, I think Matt Corral is going to leave a pretty good hole in that quarterback room uh, for them to fill. Um, and when he didn't play well last year, they looked rather, you know, 
rather pedestrian, rather average. And so I do think that until they find a solid quarterback, you know, to fill that hole, it may take them a while to rev up. Now, once they get going, we have all seen what, you know, Ole Miss when they're really, really good. But even with a guy like Matt Corral last year, they still, you know, they still had some losses where you were like, hmm, okay, Ole Miss is being Ole Miss again. You know, it just, for me, I, I just, nine wins is typically kind of like the wins I get for, for for them. You know, obviously they were able to get to 10 last year with the ball win. But like nine is kind of where I sit Ole Miss around, even when they're a really good team. And so if that's the case, without Matt Corral there, eight and under, it is where I would like to sit when that when I look at their quarterback room hasn't been you know it, it, they don't have a returning starter in it. Yeah, I mean the, these um like I said these numbers what what stands out to you here, Nick? Between these ones because Alabama eleven and a half like, I mean you can't the, touch that, can you? It seems easy, but but yeah, I mean that's a tough one to take. So that. And our our projection for Alabama, and I will say that on the the extremes, we we I wouldn't say struggle because it it at least in recent memory has worked out more often than not. But on the extremes, we are not going to uh, we're basically never going to be over eleven for anybody. Just just the right. the numbers don't add up because Alabama specifically um, and Alabama is our number one team. And we think Alabama would be about a one and a half point favorite over number two, Ohio state. And then those two, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, it, it's a little bit of a jump uh, between them and, and number uh, three, Georgia and, and number four uh, Clemson. So, and then a you know bigger jump after that to, to Texas A&M. Um, so, even with Alabama being an elite team, uh, you know, they're double digit favorites in every game, but that equates to, you know, they're an 11.1 point favorite over Texas. Remember, this is a top 15 Texas team, uh, according to our projections. That's a 73% projected winning percentage. So Alabama would get credit for 0.73 wins. And, you know, you add them up, you get 95 against Utah State, 99 against ULM, 98 against Vandy, but then a few more in the 70s, 78 against Arkansas, 78 against A&M, 76 against Tennessee, 73 against LSU. And, you know, you you start taking chunks out of those possible 12 wins, and we end up with 10.18. So I knew we wouldn't get to 11, but to be closer to 10 than we are 11 – is a, a little bit of a surprise to me. So I, I do think that we're actually maybe a little low on Alabama, but you know, being over a win different uh, has been a, a basically an automatic bet for us. And, and so I would say that Alabama under 11 and a half is an automatic bet and there are losable games. I mean, we saw Alabama lose games games last to be better uh, this year than last, but they play at LSU, who even yep. though, you know, LSU will get to a little bit, uh, there's there's not a whole lot of optimism there right now, but that's a tough place to play. They play at Ole Miss, who, as you mentioned, you know, maybe you're not super high on Ole Miss, but they've had some, at least given them, uh, given Alabama issues before. Um at AM beat them last year. They have to go at mm-hmm, our, you know, mm-hmm. to Arkansas, to Texas. I mean, there there is 
and all Alabama has to do is lose one, and you win the thing. And you're Auburn, right, right? Yeah, you know, they, they Auburn went to however many overtimes last year. So I I think that the only thing I will do, and and you know, I'm not necessarily suggesting anyone do this, but the only thing, if I were to suggest anyone do, is bet under Alabama. That that's that just looks like you know something you have to do. Um, the other the other two that jump out to me. Auburn and LSU. I mentioned LSU being a team that I think we are probably too high on. Uh, a first-year head coach is not usually something I, you know, I always sort of err on the side of caution there. Uh, they are going to be relying on a lot of transfers, including potentially a quarterback, Jalen Dan- Jaden Daniels, who has not, you know, shown a whole lot of progress his, his last couple of years. There was a whole big thing a week or so ago with Brian Kelly and, and Kayshawn Butte, who it sounds like is more injured than maybe we thought he was at this point. Maybe he will or won't, you know, be a hundred percent by the start of the season. They had to completely rebuild their secondary, but LSU ranks 11th in our power ratings, their roster strength overall, they rank third, their top 10 on offense in roster strength and their top five defensively. So that's a big jump from a team that ranked 56th in team performance last year, 79th on offense, 121st rushing offense. Uh, but LSU is much better, according to our, you know, the way we calculate things, much better than a six-win team. And I know Brian Kelly rubs a lot of people the wrong way. That may or may not include players. Uh, he does a lot of goofy things. But, I mean, the guy's got a, a track record of, of success. He's got a talented roster. He's improved the roster through the transfer portal because I, I expected we would be much lower on LSU. And had they not, especially in the secondary and the offensive line, rebuilt those units through the transfer portal, we would have been uh, much, much lower. But I think this is a case where LSU is under value. You know, there, there's, there's some value here because we have 7.3 wins for LSU. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, they're they're a fringe top ten team in our power rankings. That would make me think that they've certainly got top ten or you know ten win potential. So LSU could underachieve and still uh, go over that for me. And then Auburn, I know they've had you know the the uh, the whole Brian Harson thing has been really really weird. Auburn has a history of <laughs> when you think they're going to be good, they're bad. When you think they're going to be bad, they're good. They're good. Uh, and they've got a lot of turnover as well. But they're another team that's probably just too talented to expect them to, to miss out on a bowl game because that's basically what you're saying here is if if they go, you know, five, uh, if you're at five or under, obviously, not bowl eligible. And they rank 20th in our power rankings. They rank 15th in overall roster strength, top 10 defensively. And yeah, I know, you know, the, the offense last year wasn't great, ranked 58th uh, in team performance. Overall, they ranked 34th in team performance. And, you know, looking back on it, you might not even think they would have played quite that well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they just, there are a lot of kind of the the inverse of, of Alabama. There are a lot of winnable games on the, right. the schedule. And yeah, they might not be big favorites at home against Penn State. They might not be big favorites at home even against you know Missouri or Arkansas. Uh, the trips to Georgia and Ole Miss, you know, they're obviously going to be underdogs against Georgia. Probably Ole Miss as well. 
They're probably going to be a home underdog against Texas A&M. They're always uh, an underdog against Alabama. But, you know, can we say that absolutely none of those games is winnable, even the Alabama game? I mean, last year, Alabama was a playoff team. Auburn obviously wasn't, you know, all that great. But there, there's always something there where that game, uh, at least at Jordan-Hare, and this, you know, next year it'll be in Tuscaloosa. But uh, there's there's always a, a chance Auburn plays that one really, really close and yeah. maybe has a chance to win. But uh, I think they get, you know, I think they get to six. And I feel like we're a little too high on Auburn at number 20. But this, this unless the Brian Harson thing just like, you know, spirals out. Completely and the team de- derails. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just I think Auburn is at, at worst a bowl team, uh, and at absolute worst wins five games. And so in that case, it's a push. Uh, I'm not sure how long this number will last, and it's right now nowhere else. But I would expect come July or August that Auburn's going to be at six, maybe six and a half with the win total. The uh, moral so, of the story is as of right now. I think if you could get over five, I I, I would be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The moral of the story is right now you pick a team that had a weird coach uh, thing going on there. So uh, either LSU with Brian Kelly and his weird accent or um, Brian Harson not getting fired from Auburn uh, as as of right now. But uh, I think uh, I think that will wrap it up for this week. Um, next week we'll be obviously discussing more spring games. I might be a little jet lagged. They'll be coming home from Phoenix, uh, the day before, but hopefully, uh, get a good night's rest and we'll be, uh, ready to go on that with baseball in motion as well. So remember you can follow us all on the Twitter at CFB winning edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier and at Bogdan sports for myself. We'll see you all next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. (laughs) 